0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Scott Fox. Here are your headlines today. Wall Street kicks off 2022 with fresh records for the Dow and the S&P 500, as Apple becomes the first US company to reach a $3 trillion market cap. Evergrande shares resume trade, having been ordered to demolish 39 buildings on the southern Chinese island of Hainan, while also revealing sales plunged almost 40% last year.
0: China's factories returned to growth in December, topping expectations as input prices eased to their lowest level since May 2020. And elsewhere, Mercedes-Benz unveils its vision of the future with an EV, albeit a concept car, boasting a range of 1,000 kilometers. But the Daimler CTO Marcus Shepper warns the chip crunch will continue.
2: Semiconductors kept us busy uh, actually day and night, the purchasing team, logistic team, production team, they did an awesome job including sales. But I believe it uh, might continue into the first half in 2022.
1: Happy New Year all for those joining us for the first time in 2022. Let's take a look at the market action because a very strong start is what we've had for those Wall Street indices. The Dow claiming fresh records, 246 points to the upside, a bounce of almost 7 tenths and you can see the trade now 36,585. So it was a very strong kick off to 2022. But the same factors at play here, investors weighing up Omicron, the threat that the variant poses at this point to supply chains, to profit, to some of the expectations for this year and judging that there's still plenty of growth around the earnings that we're likely to see in coming weeks and months. And that was the one of the catalysts, again, driving the Dow. Of course, in the backdrop, we're still talking about monetary policy, what this year will bring for the Fed, which is expected to tighten rates. So that is a, a potential headwind for the markets down the track. But at this stage, it was a, a good lift off, And we did break a two-day losing streak, don't forget, on these major markets for both the Dow and the SP. p Longer losing streak for the Nasdaq which has been done four straight sessions This was a pop in deposit territory, 1.2%. So you could see a slight outsized performance here, but a lot of heavy lifting from some big-name stocks, namely Tesla, but also Apple. And Apple was uh, the the first company to claim a $3 trillion market cap, uh, 182 where we're trading now, 2.5% high. And the market here weighing up uh, what it is seeing on the earnings side. Don't forget we've had huge services growth in uh, the past 12 months and uh, in some ways compensating for what you're seeing in the iPhone space where supply constraints have had an impact, but uh, the market very much at this junction try to work out what is next. Can Apple produce even more from here, Steve? And I think uh, also whether Apple is a, a bellwether for the sector, whether this suggests that technology is going to be resilient for 2022 or whether Apple could be a standalone story here.
0: Morning, Karen. Absolutely. How was your New Year's, more importantly?
1: I, I managed to get through it without COVID, so I think that was a win. <laughs>
0: Excellent. All right, it's lovely to hear you, and may you have a fantastic 2022. Look, I, I'm so excited about the Apple story, so much so I've been rude to the producer already, saying, we've got to talk about Apple. Apologies to my wonderful team. Uh, but, but I think this is the most fascinating story out there, and the more you think about Apple, the more thoughtful it becomes because like this is not a cheap stock let's get this straight it it went from 1 trillion in 2018 to 2 trillion just a year ago to 3 trillion dollars now but it is not a cheap company it trades on about 30 times forward as opposed to a longer run average where it trades on 23 times forward whereas the broader stock market trades on about 23 times forward but is it a defensive stock despite the fact that it has a really fruity valuation and there are some people out there who say yes it is the ultimate defensive stock it is throwing off hundreds of billions of dollars uh, of of, of free cash flow. It's been upgraded by Moody's to AAA as well. So it's one of those solid companies out there that throughout COVID and without COVID, it is looking very interesting on the fundamentals. It's a growth stock. I mean, you, Karen, more than anyone has talked about SaaS software as a service and how they've expanded enormously in that and how their margins in SaaS are so fantastic, but they're still cleaning up on hardware. Have they had semiconductor problems? Absolutely. Are there delays on prob- product? I know for a fact there are still, and I know anecdotally and professionally as well. But the fact of the matter is, they are negotiating this far better than any auto company can do, because of course, autos take a lot more components uh, to get to market than, than, let's say, an Apple device as well. I-, I think it's fascinating to say that people are now saying, well, actually, is this the ultimate defensive stock? Because it's got growth characteristics and it has defensive qualities for those reasons I mentioned earlier on as well. And I think it's a metaphor for the broader market and for the concentration we've got, Karen, uh, into just a few names. That lies the problem as well, because if Apple does have a problem, if there is a wobble somewhere as well, it is a large part of investors' portfolios now. It's a large part of the growth story of the S&P, which hit another record level yesterday. I mean, don't forget, and I think this is fascinating, there were over 1,400, nearly 1,500 stocks declined yesterday. More sectors were in negative territory as we hit a record high on the S&P than were in positive territory. So I think this concentration into a few names continues. The question is, does Apple present value? Well, at 30 times forward, it's a damn sight cheaper than some of the names out
3: there.
1: Uh, Steve, I'll come back to you first. Happy New Year to you too. I wasn't sure you we were making a point there about the, the social restrictions and how we were weathered, uh, what was meant to be a very social period of time, but with very cautious behaviour. But I want to just get to what that could mean for Apple. Don't forget there was a pivot towards having more products during the height of the pandemic. Do some of those themes now continue because of uh, slightly altered behaviours as we get through this variant or do we just see a pickup return to normal activity. The other point around services too, there's been a, a huge change in the portfolio that's come through for Apple and don't forget the revenue side is quite instrumental as you talk about paid subscribers. There was a miss in that final fourth quarter where Apple didn't quite get the iPhone numbers it had wanted to achieve but it did see a better improvement in margins because the services side makes up a, a much larger uh, component of margins so that was a win then. If you talk about the number of paid subscribers it was 745 million paying subscribers for its services up from 660 million at six months ago so very strong numbers there and uh, whether you think this continues it's going to come down to those paid subscribers that is something to look out for Uh, the big apps uh, the third party uh, applications on the services that's what you look for now when it comes to Apple as well as a a recovery of course any supply chain problems that the company can conquer at this stage but I would also just point out what the expectations are in the market now for Apple Uh, Wall Street is predicting expansion now of earnings of 4.6 percent so that is low single digit but uh, on the back of what was a strong number. Uh, others are saying, um, this is uh, Gene Munster, who's well known in the sector. He's slightly more optimistic, saying 7 to 9% top line growth for the next few years. So uh, is Apple a bellwether? potentially for those that do have earnings that are more protected at this point as we talk about subscribers and revenue growth. I'm going to take you back to the broader markets too and uh, we can see how we're trading on foreign exchange and dollar crosses this morning. Uh, Sterling is on the back foot, but uh, you are seeing some strength in euro versus the greenback. Picking up uh, to uh, the 113 handle, we have uh, got the dollar Climbing versus the Japanese yen, so not much of a safe haven bid out there. The markets, as you'd anticipate, given record levels on Wall Street as the equity markets certainly catch a bit at this stage, a third of a percent higher for the dollar versus the Japanese yen. Let me take you to Treasuries. We are perched higher on the yield as well. 1.62 is where we're trading, so we have lifted off slightly here. And worth noting... There is correlation to the markets. We've seen an improvement in the banks. And I did note yesterday, there are pockets of the technology sector that certainly picked up. But if you're looking at it on a sector basis, it wasn't the FANG Plus stocks where you saw the big growth. It was actually in the banking stocks where there was an escalation. And that is a correlation to that 1.62% pop that you saw in the 10-year. Let's just take a look at uh, the banks. And this is uh, a picture across the day, 3.7-plus percent higher for Bank of America. One of the better performers, along with Wells Fargo, 5.7%. higher and Citigroup uh, finding its way into the action too, almost four and a half percent pop in that stock. Asia markets uh, picking up from that strong handover from Wall Street also trading positive mostly except for China 1.7% odd higher for the Japanese stock market. Hong Kong uh, is uh, just in positive territory. You can see a slight dip there for China but Australia also having a very strong start uh, rallying close to 2%. And let's get into some of the big themes then for the China markets today as Evergrande shares resumed trade just over an hour ago having been suspended pending the release of Inside
4: Information. Emily has the details. Property developer Evergrande has been ordered by local authorities to demolish 39 buildings on Hainan Island. The affected buildings are at its Ocean Flower Island project, which is part of three artificial islands they had built from reclaimed land since 2012. The administrative penalty decision issued by the Danzhou Municipal Government, it says, does not involve other plots of land at the project. It is understood that the 39 residential buildings need to be torn down within 10 days. In a statement to the stock exchange, Evergrande said, it will actively communicate with the authority and resolve the issue properly. Shares in Evergrande jumped as much as 4% in the resumption of trade and that's after diving close to 90% last year. The developer also said contracted sales for 2021 plunged 39% from the previous year to $69.5 billion. And with regards to its liquidity situation, the company will continue to maintain communication with creditors and safeguard the legitimate rights of all parties it says. This comes as Evergrande has a quad of interest payments due at the end of this month. Reporting from Hong Kong, I'm Emily Tan. A factory activity in China returned to growth in December, according
1: to a private survey. The Caixin Manufacturing PMI rose to 50.9 in the final month of 2021, topping forecasts. It comes as import prices ease to their lowest point since May 2020. Let's get to Frederick Newman, who joins us, co-head of Asia Economics Research at HSBC. Frederick, Happy New Year to you first up. And let me just get into what the new year holds for China, because it wasn't a great year over the course of 2021, but encouraging signs in the factory activity rate that perhaps the mainland market is weathering the onslaught of the latest variant. What are your expectations for this year?
5: Well, you're right. We've seen a bit of sign of stabilization towards the end of 2021, where the PMI is actually coming in a little bit better than expected. But remember, that's off of a very weak base. In October, November, the economy had pulled back substantially. So this is more stabilization and perhaps an off to the races again kind of signal. Going into 2022, you know, there are two key things we're watching. One is What's going to happen with the virus? Uh, We're already seeing a bit of outbreak in parts of China. The more this spreads, the more this reoccurs, the more it's going to, to- take its toll on economic growth. The second thing is, are policymakers going to hit the gas on policy, or are they going to act more with re- more restraint? And the chances are, they're going to be a bit more restrained this year than many investors seem to expect
1: the themes that some investors have been steering about has been the self-reliance policy, a sort of push back against globalisation in effect as you see China fine-tuning various policies. How big a theme do you think that is going to be as investors navigate some of the, the Beijing regulatory headwinds in 2022?
5: Well, regulatory risk certainly will still be there. It will never disappear entirely, but we have seen some signals by officials in Beijing over the last few months that they say, we'll get the message. We need to have a more calibrated approach. Going in too aggressively is very destabilizing. Remember that some of these policies are justified. Some of them are perhaps more politically motivated. But by and large, there seems to be a recognition in Beijing that things need to be uh, flagged better to the market to bring in more stability. The securities regulator, for example, has hinted at the fact that we need to have a bit more runway before we announce these new policies, kind of soften up the market, kind of make the market understand why we put these policies out there. So there will be more uh, measures to come for sure. But the the good news is that possibly we're going to get a bit more of a strategic rollout of these particular announcements
1: frederick i want to ask you about monetary policy because as we talk about central banks globally moving towards the exit uh, the fed very much uh, and everyone's sights of to this uh, expectation that it's expected to tighten two maybe three times this year where does that leave the PPOC? because i know you're expecting some form of uh, easing here but just how much easing can you have when you've got a fed that could be effectively retreating from extraordinary stimulus
5: Well, you're looking at what I would call the big divergence uh, in 2022. The Fed uh, hitting the brakes here, uh, raising rates, too. We actually think three times this year, possibly even going to quantitative tightening. The PBOC under pressure actually do the opposite. Don't worry about inflation pressures. This is all about growth at the moment in China, and that would require potentially further easing at the margin. How much of a constraint is the Fed tightening here? Not that much. The PBOC can still deliver some easing. Remember, the currency is strong. The balance of payments is fairly robust. So the PBOC has some independence. The only thing holding them back is the fear of reflating the property market too quickly. It's local debt that is a constraint to monetary policy. It is not so much the Fed.
1: Frederick, uh, most China watchers last year were also stewing about the impact of Evergrande, whether it could cause contagion across markets. As we wade through the headlines today, we would be talking about uh, the company that was apparently um, told to demolish 39 buildings in the resort style development in Hainan on the, the southern province there. What do you make of uh, the developments around the property story? Do you think we've seen enough cleanup here from Beijing to help some of this noise disappear for investors at least?
5: Well, by and large, the message is very clear from Beijing is that they will not want to see the entire development sector crumble before their eyes. They've started to ease the credit uh, restrictions that are imposed on property developers, advise banks to put money back into the sector to stabilize things. Most importantly, they've actually signaled to local governments to help support local developers. So by and large, the sector is ring-fenced. It will start to recover gradually. But of course, individual companies may still run into some issues. And therefore, the issue is ring-fenced from a systemic perspective. But that doesn't mean that every individual co- company is out in the clear.
0: Frederick, very good morning to you. I mean, I think this goes way beyond property companies. I know a lot of people are saying it's just about a few names. But if we don't have those revenues coming from the expansion of property, which has been such a huge driver, up to a third of the Chinese economic growth story over the last decade, then things are going to be a bit of a problem for the municipalities, for their revenues, for the growth story, possibly some social problems as well. Am I making too much of this? Or is there a possibility that that could be the case?
5: You're not making too much of it. You hit the nail on the head. You're right. that As the real estate market cools down, as local governments cannot sell land, they're deprived of revenues they need for infrastructure spending, social spending, etc. So that is a significant growth headwind that Beijing will have to make up for through other measures, fiscal transfers, for example. So there is a a hole to plug, if you will, but it's not as if Beijing is flying blindly into this. So more money will have to be made available, both through monetary and through fiscal easing. Remember one thing though, local governments have also tremendous fiscal reserves. They're actually underspent over the past year. And now the game of the game is really to encourage them to use these fiscal reserves. It's not as if local governments are high and dry. Yes, there's less revenue coming in, but they still, for the most part, have a bit of a cushion of uh, uh, reserves that they could use to spend and accelerate uh, uh, fiscal expenditure over the coming months.
0: Uh, and, Frederick, I'm not trying to create a bare case for China and China's property. In fact, quite the opposite. I'd like to see it do well. But, 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 but it just seems to me you talk about the Chinese municipal reserves and fiscal reserves. I have questions about that, Frederick, because I've seen the expansion of Chinese debt uh, coming up to Western levels in record time, possibly surpassing if, we, if we're not careful as well. Is this the year where actually people start looking at sovereign debt and saying, well, I'm quite worried about that potentially. I know that we've ignored sovereign debt problems and explosion of sovereign debt debt to GDPs in EM and DM for the last decade. But are, is this the year where we start actually looking at it again?
5: Well, we've always kept a wary eye on it. I think uh, all of us in the investment community has increased uh, over the last 10, 12 years quite rapidly, and you're right. There is a high leverage in that sector, um, but uh, this is still a closed financial system. By and large, there's excess savings in China. It is largely a function of the government uh, willingness uh, to continue to fund and allow local governments to issue more credit. There's not a credit constraint in terms of lack of availability of funding. It's more a political issue as to whether to what degree local governments are allowed to spend again. And here Beijing wants to walk a very tight line, which is they're not letting these local governments splurge like uh, irresponsibly and drive a debt further, but also not have local government spending contract so rapidly that the economy uh, stumbles. So uh, treading that fine line, that's gonna be the trick this year. But we're still very far away from really this becoming a, a systemic, a sovereign funding issue for China.
0: So look, let's paint the ball case as well. Um, that's the negative case. Concerns about debt, concerns about property, social tensions. Whatever. What's the ball case for China in 2022?
5: Well, the ball case is that actually uh, we stay on top of uh, COVID-19, uh, domestic uh, consumption recovers, uh, unemployment is still relatively low in China. There's a lot of green investment that is coming through to the neighborhood of two, three percentage points of GDP, potentially extra funding for environmental measures. There is a lot of CapEx coming through in the manufacturing sector, a lot of high-tech investment still. In fact, through all the slowdown of the past six months, uh, factory expansion, factory CapEx has actually accelerated over the second half of the year. And so if you stabilize housing construction, if you stabilize consumption, there is a lot of juice left here on the CapEx side, on the rent- environmental infrastructure side to drive growth back up. That, I think, must be the bull case. But even then, we're not talking growth of 6 6.5%. We're talking more about growth of 5 5.5%. That's the bull case right now
0: for China. Great stuff, Frederick. Well, look, lovely to see you again. You've been a stalwart for us over the years. So, thank you very much indeed. Frederick Neumann, who is the co head of Asian economics research at HSBC. Right, coming up on this show, a new year, a new focus for Daimler as it unveils its all electric concept car, the Mercedes Benz Vision EQXX. So, we'll have some details after the break.
1: And for more on Apple's march to a $3 trillion market cap, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
0: Welcome back to Scorebox. Jurors have found Ferranos founder Elizabeth Holmes guilty on four charges. One count of conspiracy to defraud investors and three counts of wire fraud against investors. The jury delivered the verdict after announcing they were deadlocked on three of the 11 charges against Holmes. Holmes was not taken into custody following the decision. A sentencing date has not yet been confirmed and a further hearing is scheduled for next week. Elsewhere, wow, this was a big one yesterday, Tesla stock soared more than 13% in US trading on the back of record deliveries for the fourth quarter, its largest daily gain in almost 10 months. The EV maker reported more than 308,000 deliveries from October to December last year. That is way over the 263,000 that analysts had expected.
1: Daimler has unveiled its new Mercedes Benz Vision EQXX concept car exactly the, the catchiest title but the headline grabbing news is that this is a battery powered vehicle with a range of over 1,000 kilometers per charge so the equivalent of a drive from paris to berlin a little bit further than west sussex to london West steve is now or east sussex i should say daimler is planning to invest over 40 billion euros into the electric car market and it has spoke to daimler cto marcus schaefer about the company's plans for the biggest ev markets including china and the united states
2: China is a very, very important market for us. It's the biggest market uh, for Mercedes-Benz and we're doing excellent uh, in the market. So we're starting now to roll out our uh, pipeline of products, electric products in the market. And uh, so we're on the start there, but we're continuously now this year basically coming with new products in China and also conquering uh, part of the EV segment in this important market.
3: And what, how, what about the US? Because clearly the US is the second biggest important market and there's also a climate initiative, but there's also a bit of a protectionist movement, even with the new Biden administration when it comes to cars. So how are you doing that?
2: Well, uh, we are in production in the U.S., so about 25 years ago we started to invest in the U.S. with our own production on passenger cars and vans. And actually this year will mark the year where we start our electric uh, EVs coming out of our U.S. plant in Alabama. So this is going to be a major milestone, our new um, electric uh, SUVs coming out of the U.S., including battery plants. So it's not only an investment in the past for passenger cars, but also for batteries, which we are inaugurating also this year. So we're covering the entire value chain of EV vehicles in the U.S. That's why we look very confident in talking to the administration as well there.
1: Schaefer also spoke about the supply chain challenges that the automaker faced last year and into this year
2: semiconductors kept us busy Uh, actually day and night the purchasing team logistic team production team they did an awesome job including sales but i believe it um, might continue into the first half in 2022 so there's a lot of focus and the task forces will continue to work semiconductors even going into uh, 2022 there but we're getting more involved in the supply chain of semiconductors with new agreements with semiconductor suppliers new contracts and much more focus on semiconductors in the future including the selection of hardware which uh, we did not do in the past so this will be a new focus
3: and that would be my next question. Has that crisis um, in the semiconductor space triggered a change of thinking how to actually organize the logistics and also the supply chains?
2: Well, it's, it's a global question. It's a global question of supply chains. And obviously, there are several boundary conditions that are changing on a, a global supply chain, political... Uh, things, uh, transport of goods around the globe, but also a new look at supply chain. Especially if you look at this car here, what does the new car need? It needs software, it needs chips, it needs battery. And lots of these items are new items. We didn't take care in the past. They were not needed in the past. So the purchasing team, logistic teams, they need a new focus. So we're entering into the supply chain much more than we did in the past looking at raw materials for battery, looking at semiconductors, where they are produced. So we're determining uh, chips in the future much more than we did in the past. So this is changing the landscape, definitely.
3: One last question on lithium and the commodities needed for the batteries, because clearly those prices went up a lot during last year and most likely will remain very elevated. Do you see that there could be also a problem of scarcity when it comes to those um, commodities needed?
2: Oh, absolutely. We do believe that we have to take care about our raw material supply. And with the steep ramp-up, especially that we have in front of us, going from 22 to 2030 uh, to 100% EVs, it needs a lot of raw material and gigawatts of capacity uh, of battery cells. And we need to make sure that we have our hand around raw materials. And that's why we take care about sourcing, contracting raw materials directly,